Good morning. Spirit in the Sky is perhaps one of the top one-hit wonders of all time. It's a song written and originally recorded by Norman Greenbaum and released in late 1969. I don't think I even heard this song until sometime probably in the 90s, but it's become a favorite of mine. Greenbaum was inspired to write the song after watching Porter Wagner on TV singing a gospel song. Now, you must note that Greenbaum is Jewish. Greenbaum later said, I I thought, yeah, I could do that. So he sat down and wrote his own gospel song. It came easy. He wrote the words in just 15 minutes. In addition to being the number one song I listened to on my playlist, it was also featured in the John Travolta movie, Michael, about 25 years ago, if any of you remember that. Elton John also recorded his version of it. I like this song so much that I've told Gene and Amy that if they outlive me, that I want it played at my memorial service, along with It Is Well With My Soul and Amazing Grace. Oh, set me up with a spirit in the sky. That's where I'm going to go when I die. When I die and they lay me to rest, I'm going to go to the place that's the best. Go to the place that's the best. In the video, you saw a lot of images depicting death and heaven. How many do you remember? There was a person on a stretcher being loaded into an ambulance, an operating table, a coffin, angels, God, a stairway to heaven, the pearly gates, a golden city, praying hands on a Bible, being greeted by Jesus, a road to heaven, sunsets, clouds, and sky. Now, this is certainly not meant to be a morbid sermon. As Americans, we generally don't think about death until we get old, and I'm not even sure I can define old because it's all relative. To a four-year-old, he probably considers his 25-year-old mother old. A teenager probably considers his 58-year-old grandfather old, and me, I'm probably ancient. We just don't think about our own deaths on a regular basis. One quote I used at my mother's memorial service was from the Chinese philosopher Confucius. He said, contemplate death daily. We don't do that. We probably relate more to the Judeo-Christian, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. But both of those phrases are talking about the same thing, the inevitability of our demise. One says, consider the fact we're going to die and prepare for it. The other says, be happy that the Lord has given you another day and be glad. Are you prepared to die? I'm sure some, or hopefully most of us here, have taken the practical steps toward that end. For example, written a will, have power of attorney set up, and have life insurance or at least enough money set aside to be disposed of however your wishes have been communicated with your family. Those are all practical things you need to consider. But I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about Norman Greenbaum's lyrics. Prepare yourself. You know it's a must. Gotta have a friend in Jesus. So you know that when you die, he's going to recommend you to the spirit in the sky. So this sermon is not about death. We had enough of those sermons last May. No, this sermon is about life, eternal life. What is heaven? What's it like? Where is it? Who's there? 
Charles Ferguson Ball says, heaven is a place, just as much a place as is New York or Chicago. Everyone wants to know about heaven, and everyone wants to go there. Recent polls suggest that nearly 80% of all Americans believe there is a place called heaven. And I find that statistic encouraging because it tells me that even in this skeptical age, there is something deep inside the human heart, in our soul, that cries out, there's got to be something more, something more than the pain and suffering of this life, something more than 70 or 80 or 90 years on planet Earth, something more than being born, living, dying, and then being buried in the ground. There's got to be something more. I believe that we were born with a sense that we were made for something more than this life, that we were made to live forever somewhere. In a real sense, we were made for heaven. There's another fascinating statistic I should mention. Not only do most Americans believe in heaven, most people expect to go there when they die. If you took a microphone to the streets of Chicago or New York and asked, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? The vast majority of people would answer, I hope so, or I think so, or perhaps I think I've got a good chance. Not very many people would say they aren't going to heaven. Perhaps one important point is in order. Whenever you talk about living forever somewhere, wouldn't it help to know for sure where you are going? After all, if you're wrong about heaven, you're going to be wrong for a long, long time. With that as background, I want to now consider some of the most frequently asked questions about heaven. But before I jump in, I should make one preliminary point. The only things we can know for certain about heaven are the things revealed in the Bible. Everything else is just speculation and hearsay. The Bible tells us everything we need to know, and I believe it also tells us everything we can know for certain about heaven. Where is heaven? There are three things I can tell you in answer to this question. The most important fact is that heaven is a real place. Listen to the words of Jesus on the night before he was crucified. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. John 14, 1-3. Twice in three verses, Jesus calls heaven a place. He means that heaven, or my Father's house, is a real place, as real as New York, London, Chicago, or even Nigeria. The place called heaven is just as real as the place you call home. It's a real place filled with real people, which is why the Bible sometimes compares heaven to a mansion with many rooms, as we just read, and sometimes to an enormous city teeming with people as described in Revelation 21, as Lynn read. The Bible also tells us that heaven is the dwelling place of God. His throne is there, the angels are there, and the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says very plainly that our citizenship is in heaven. 
and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 43. And third, I find this fact fascinating. The Bible hints that heaven is not as far away as we might think. Because heaven is a real place, we sometimes think it must be way up in the sky outside of our present universe, which would mean that it is billions and billions of light years away. However, it's pretty clear that the early Christians understood they would pass immediately from this life into the presence of Christ in heaven. How can that be possible if heaven is beyond the farthest galaxy? Hebrews 12, 22-24 tells us something amazing about what the gospel has done for us. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The writer here is comparing Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. Under the old covenant, no one could come near God except under very strict conditions. That's why the mountain shook with thunder and lightning. Three times, the writer of Hebrews uses a Greek word that means to come near or to approach closely. But now in Christ, we have been brought near to heavenly realities. Think of what he's saying. We're not that far from heaven. We're not that far from the angels. We're not that far from our loved ones in heaven. We're not that far from God. We're not that far from Jesus himself. Heaven is a real place. It's where Jesus is right now, and it's not far away from us. So how do you envision heaven? One of the Star Trek movies depicted heaven as the nexus, a kind of alternate dimension. Maybe heaven is right here all around us in another dimension that our finite human minds cannot conceive of. Again, just mere speculation on my part trying to describe heaven. What's heaven like? I would answer by saying that the Bible doesn't give us a great deal of information. What we have are images and pictures of heaven with comparisons of life on earth. There are 620 verses in the Bible and all depict heaven as being up or above the earth. Like when they built the Tower of Babel, they were trying to go up to reach God. And Jesus ascended up to heaven. What is heaven like? Here are seven biblical facts about heaven. It's God's dwelling place, Psalm 33. It's where Christ is today, Acts 1. It's where Christians go when they die, Philippians 1. It's the Father's house, John 14. It's a city designed and built by God, Hebrews 11. It's a better country, Hebrews 11. And it's paradise, Luke 23. Most of us, most of us have heard that heaven is a place where the streets are paved with gold. The gates are made of pearl and the walls made of precious jewels. These images come from Revelation 21 as Lynn read, which offers us the most extended picture of heaven in the entire Bible. And what Lynn read was a description of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven coming down to earth. It's where God resides, where Jesus resides. And uh, to use the measurements that he read, 
and translate it to today's uh, dimensions so you get an idea of how big this new Jerusalem, this new earth was, was it's, it's not the same size as the current day Jerusalem. It was huge. And he described it as it was as long as it is wide as it is high. In other words, it was a giant cube. 1,500 miles approximately wide by 1,500 miles long by 1,500 miles high. And it was the streets are made of gold and uh, precious uh, metals in the, in the wall. The wall was like 200 feet thick. It's just an amazing sight. Now, if you ask me if I believe these things are literally true, my answer is yes and no. Yes, they are literally true. But no, heaven won't be anything like we imagine. It will be much greater. Now, at this point, I have to interject a golf story like I do in all my sermons. And uh, you've probably heard this one before, but you're going to hear it again. And it does relate to the sermon, so hang hang with me. There are these two golfers, and we'll name them Keith and Lynn. And uh, one day they're up at the golf course just up the road here, Landis Creek, and they're walking down the par 5, 7th fairway, and Keith says to Lynn, Hey, Lynn, do you remember that sermon Dave gave about heaven? Lynn says, Yeah, it was a great sermon. <laughs> and, uh, and Keith says, uh, I've been wondering, do you think there's golf courses in heaven? And Lynn says, boy, I don't know. That'd be great. And Keith says, uh, I'll tell you what. Let's make a pact that whoever dies first will uh, come back to the one on earth in a dream and let him know if there's golf courses in heaven. So Lynn agrees. Some more time goes by, and eventually Keith dies. Sorry, Keith. Uh, And then later on one night, Keith comes to Lynn in a dream and says, Lynn, Lynn, it's Keith. I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is that, yes, there are golf courses in heaven, and they're beautiful. The greenest grass and the blue skies and the flowers and the birds chirping, and there's I don't have any shoulder pain and no back pain. It's, It's just wonderful. And Lynn says, that's amazing. You said there's bad news? And Keith says, Yes, Lynn, uh, you have a tea time tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if there really are golf courses in heaven, but like the writer of Revelations, I can dream, can't I? I don't spend a lot of time thinking about heaven, as advised by Confucius. But focus on enjoying the benefits of this world like most of us do. Watch movies, eating, golfing, just living our lives. So what does your version of heaven look like? Imagine yourself being there. Is it a favorite vacation spot, uh, a beach, a mountain cabin, a stream filled with trout, an idyllic camping spot, an island, Pebble Beach Golf Course? Again, heaven will be much better than anything you can possibly imagine. Here's a delightful legend that makes the point of what heaven is like really well. This story is from a sermon, Heaven, by Dr. David Leininger. He says, I love the old story of the rich man who, on his deathbed, negotiated with God to allow him to bring his earthly treasures with him when he came to heaven. God's reaction was that this was a most unusual request. 
But since this man had been exceptionally faithful, permission was granted to bring along just one suitcase. The time arrived. The man presented himself at the pearly gates, suitcase suitcase in hand, both hands, actually, because he had stuffed it with as many bars of gold bullion as would fit. St. Peter says, Sorry, you know the rules. You can't take it with you. But the man protested. God said I could. One suitcase. So St. Peter had to go check with God to make sure this was, this was true and found out that the, this one man would be an exception. And as he prepared to let the man enter, he said, uh, okay, but I'll have to examine the contents before you pass. Maybe Peter was the first airport TSA agent. He, looked, he took the suitcase, opened it, and saw the gold bars and asked quizzically, you brought paving for our streets? When, when John in Revelation writes about a street paved with gold, I do not doubt his words. He simply reports what he saw in his vision. Thus, his words are literally true. They're also meant to tell us that the things we value so highly in this life will be used to pave the roads in heaven. Who is in heaven right now? This question is an easy one to answer. God is in heaven because heaven is his dwelling place. The Lord Jesus had been in heaven ever since he ascended from the earth shortly after his resurrection, Acts 1.9. The Bible tells us that angels are in heaven. In fact, there are myriads of angels, uncountable numbers of heavenly beings, all of them serving the Lord in various ways. And the saints of God who died on this earth are in heaven. And I mean by this that heaven includes Old Testament saints who by faith trusted in God's word and looked forward to God's redemption at Calvary, which they did not fully understand at the time. It also includes every true believer from every continent and every denomination. Everyone who has genuinely trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior will be there. I also think that children who died before the age of accountability go to heaven. And I would also include those born with such mental limitations that they cannot understand the gospel. The Bible teaches that the moment we die, we go directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul spoke of this in 2 Corinthians and Philippians 1. But I do not want to be ambiguous on this point. Not everyone is in heaven right now. Some people won't make it. The Bible speaks of the saved and the lost. The saved are those who trust Jesus Christ as their eternal Savior. The lost are those who do not trust Christ as Savior. This is the great dividing line of humanity. You are either saved or you are lost. There is no middle category. You will either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell which itself is another subject for another day. I simply want you to know what the Bible has said about heaven and who will go there. The saved of all the ages will be there. And that vast throng will no doubt include many people who would surprise us if we knew it now. Certainly heaven will be more wonderful than our imagination and its population more diverse than we might expect. But I'm sure of this one truth. No one will go to heaven except by the grace of God and through the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ. If a man says no to Jesus, he has no hope of heaven. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. John 14, 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. 1 Timothy 2, 6. The death of Jesus is repeatedly emphasized as something offered for the sins of the world, for all people, for the whole world. And his death as the great demonstration of God's love is the only way to be forgiven and accepted by God. Seven truths testify to the extensive reach of God's love through Jesus. We'll do this as a responsive reading. Uh, I'll read the part in black and we all read the part in blue. God has demonstrated his love for all people. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God desires the salvation of all people. 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God has made provision for the salvation of all people. 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. God commands all people to repent. Acts 17.30 In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God will hold all people accountable for their response. Acts 17.31 For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. God takes no pleasure in anyone's rejection of his love. Ezekiel 18 verses 23 and 32 Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord, repent and live. God will save all people who place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The just penalty for our sin is death. We all die. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot hide from the reality of death. Jesus, however, offers to transform our understanding of death. He said, Because I live, you also will live. John 14, 19. And Jesus made this staggering promise. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you believe in him? Are you trusting what he did for your eternal salvation? Because if you do, to again echo the words of Spirit in the sky, when you die and they lay you to rest, you're going to go to the place that's the best. Amen.